All right, hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair. My name is Gabrielle, and today we're talking about Fredegund the Assassin Queen, who is probably one of the most hysterically evil people I've had the fortune of reading about. In a nutshell, Fredegund was the epitome of every evil mistress or wife. Like, every evil trope, basically, I feel like could be shown in her example. She was a consort who gained the affection of a king, and she either killed or hired someone to kill anyone who may get in the way of her and later her son, reign. Let's get started. Fredegund was originally born into a low-ranking family. She worked as a servant during the reign of King Chilperic, who ruled over Neustria, or modern-day northern France. Not much is known about her early life, and she really only became known to history when she worked for Chilperic's first wife, Queen Adovera. She quickly interested the king and soon became one of his concubines. This is actually really impressive because queens at the time had a decent amount of political authority, and according to Suzanne Wemple, who writes in Women in Frankish Society, they could, quote, participate in assemblies, and issue donations and privileges. They received secular and ecclesiastical officials. They could also influence elections and draw upon the treasury to build a network of political loyalties. So what that comes down to is that basically Audevera had the time, power, and influence to organize her followers and use them all to shove Fredegund away from the king, but either didn't see her as a threat enough to do so, or tried to and failed because the king was so interested in Fredegund. Essentially, Audevera drops out of history, only really recorded as being one of Fredegund's initial quote-unquote victims, so to speak. Chilprek divorced her, but instead of marrying Fredegund undoubtedly like she thought he would, he married a woman named Galswinth, the older sister of his brother's wife, Brunhild. Fun fact, Brunhild and Fredegund would eventually grow to have a rivalry that lasted decades. Partially, that's because of what happens next. Shortly after marrying Galswinth, like within 24 to 48 hours, it's estimated, she was strangled to death, and while it was never found out who, there's a very obvious person who people blame for it. The three theories people have stuck to about who killed her are, one, Fredegund herself, as she wanted to be the one that Chilbrick married, snuck into Galswinth's room, and strangled her. Theory two is that Fredegund hired another servant to strangle Galswinth, or theory three, because Galswinth was reportedly very jealous of Fredegund, it annoyed Chilbrick to the point that he strangled her himself or had her strangled on his behalf. No matter the theory, Fredegund is associated with Galswinth's death as being somehow responsible in some way. One account was found saying, quote, King Chilbrick wept for the death of Galswinth, but within a few days, he asked Fredegund to sleep with him again. I guess just implying that obviously he wasn't really that broken up over her death at all. And as if the murder of his new wife wasn't enough family drama, Chilbrick wanted to conquer territory that his brother Sigebert, the one who was married to Brynhild and whose older sister had just been murdered, owned. They declared war on each other, which makes me wonder again on the timing on the whole new wife being murdered thing, and they began to fight over this territory. Chilprek looked like he would lose too. His territories were under siege, and one of his sons with his first wife had been killed. His palace was under attack when Fredegund ended up saving the day. Since her arrival and subsequent favor by Chilprek, she'd been building allies. She used some of these allies now and had them sneak through to Sigebert and his army just as they were celebrating. These spies caught a look of him as he was being raised above his army's heads, celebrating and giving them basically a great look as to where he was at. And they hacked him along with his chamberlain 
to death with poison axes. It was written that, quote, her willingness to make arrangements through her own servants for assassinations and for handling bribes made her a political asset to the king. So Fredegund continues plotting, attempting to kill enemies of Chilbrick with her spy network while trying to cement her own place by the king's side. The best way to do this was to get pregnant and have her own children be in line for inheriting the throne. Chilbrick still had sons from his first wife, Adovera, and while he did, Fredegund lacked power that having a line of succession would give her. Eventually, sometime during the battle between Chilbrick and his brother, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, Samson. Unfortunately, that son died before he turned five years old, but Fredegund soon gave birth to two more sons, Clodobert and Dagobert, only to have tragedy strike again when a dysentery epidemic swept through the nation, nearly killing Chilbrick and succeeding in killing the two sons that Fredegund had. Her solution to this was to somehow burn the tax records, saying that, quote, we still lay up treasures, we have no one to whom we can leave them. Now we are losing the most beautiful of our possessions. Come then, I beg you, let us set light to all these iniquitous tax demands. I guess basically that dysentery was seen to be the results of the sins of taxation, and by burning the records, it signified how they would be committing to donate money to the church and absolve themselves, etc, etc. But this whole repentance thing didn't extend to murder, because while the dysentery was rampaging through their territory and right after she had just burned the taxes in a, as a way to like atone for her her sins of taxation, she had Chilbrick's last son by Adavera go to one of the most heavily affected areas in their kingdom for morale purposes. He ended up staying healthy and was then able to join Fredegund and Chilbrick back at their country home when they were spending where they were spending a month in mourning. For some reason while he was there, he thought it'd be a good idea to gloat about all the things he would do when he took over the throne and all the ways that he would make his enemies suffer. This obviously terrified Fredegund, and the cherry on top of this whole madness was that one of her spies reported that he had been sleeping with one of Fredegund's servant's daughter and had asked the servant to do some black magic to kill off Fredegund's sons. She then had the mother and her daughter arrested, tortured, and then killed, and then convinced Chilbrick to have his son arrested. Surprising absolutely nobody, he died in custody, and I guess nobody questioned the story of how he somehow managed to stab himself multiple times. Somehow at this time, she also managed to get Odovera officially out of the picture by implying she was included in this plot, and Odovera was burned at the stake. After all this, Fredegund was pregnant with another son, Thuderic, but history started to repeat itself here. She was told that another of her enemies, Mumulus the Perfect, which wow, what a name, cursed him and he died while he was still a baby. Quick fact, I was intrigued by who exactly Mumulus was and it turns out that he was a political advisor for her true enemy, Brunhild. So she had a bunch of Parisian wives tortured until they admitted they were witches, which obviously is super reliable, and that they'd worked with Mumulus to lay this witchcraft upon her son before then beheading, burning them alive, or torturing them to death. Somehow she was able to get Mumulus captured and tortured as well to pay for his crimes. While all this was happening, she was still in close with King Chilperic, aiding him in many of his plans, finances, and pursuits. Rumors began spreading that she wasn't only helping Chilperic though, but in fact helping many other men on the side and having an affair with one named Betram, the Bishop of Bordeaux. The man who spread the rumor was, you guessed it, tortured and beaten on the throat with a block of wood, which I guess symbolizes how he shouldn't have been going around saying those things in, a in the first place. Not long after, 
she became pregnant with another son, Clothar, which in some people's opinions kind of proved the whole point because I guess she and Chilprick had been having issues at this time and they were surprised that she was able to get pregnant. Chilprick ended up sending Clothar to be hidden away in another country home because of how he had believed their enemies had cursed their previous children. But in the year of 548, only a few months after Fredegund's son was born, Chilprick was assassinated. Like Galswinth's assassinations, there are a few theories as to the who and why. One is that Chilprick caught Fredegund actually having an affair with another man, this time the mayor of the palace, Landerick, and she had him assassinated in order to keep it quiet. Another theory is that Brunhild, Fredegund's evil arch nemesis, was the one behind the assassination. Either way, this assassination took Fredegund's greatest protection, the king, away and threatened her and her child's safety. She was able to find sanctuary for herself and her son, as well as her personal treasury in Paris, where Chilprick's brother, King Guntram, placed her under his protection. But Brunhild, having either known of Chilprick's assassination or hearing about it, decided that it would be a good idea to storm Paris along with her son, Childebert. Guntram was able to intercept their forces with his, but they had a simple request. Hand over the murderess, the woman who garroted my aunt, the woman who, who killed my first father and then my uncle, and who put two my, my two cousins to the sword. Guntram's reply to this was that, quote, she has a king as her son and she therefore cannot be surrendered. See, at this point, Guntram was pretty much on her side and willing to kind of protect her from the threat that Brunhild and Brunhild's son represented. But that wouldn't last long because of course Fredegund couldn't exist without causing some kind of trouble. She was in hiding at a cathedral in the outskirts of Paris when she began starting things with others, accusing them of stealing, witchcraft, and worse. Of course, this then got her sent off to a manor further to the outskirts, where a bishop, Melanius, was supposed to take care of her and Clothar, beginning to work on building a government for the baby to eventually rule. Not satisfied with the quiet life in retirement, much to the frustration of literally everybody around her, Fredegund managed to convince one of the household clerics to try and assassinate Brunhild. But of course, the cleric was caught and sent back to Fredegund, which was really just unfortunate for him because when he was, Fredegund had his hands and feet cut off. Next, she decided that obviously the problem was the lack of manpower involved, so she sent two clerics armed with swords designed specifically to hold poison and told them to go for Brunhild and her son, King Childebert. Of course, they were also caught and tortured before being killed. One of the bishops in town, having heard of these attempts and the general chaos that she caused, ran into her one day and decided to tell her, quote, in exile and out of exile, I have always been a bishop, but when you give up your role as queen, you will be plunged into the abyss. It would be better for you to abandon your stupid, malicious behavior. Of course, this pissed her off. And in true Fredegund fashion, she had him stabbed while he was saying the Easter Mass. Before the then having him carried to his bed and said that she would offer all of her assistance to him with one of her doctors. Of course, that didn't happen, and he ended up dying, but not before giving her one final lecture on the nature of her sins and how she needed to repent and beg for forgiveness. After his death, a local leader came by to express how he thought she'd gone too far, 
and in return, she poisoned him with a drink that killed him in less than an hour. While this was all happening, Fredegund's daughter was rescued. See, she'd had a daughter who'd been sent away on a marriage proposal, but she'd never actually made it to her supposed husband's side. Instead, her father had died while she was traveling, and she'd been stranded in the city of Toulouse in hiding due to everybody wanting to kill Fredegund and all of her related children. Fredegund finally managed to rescue her and reunite with her where she was staying, but soon had her hands full of fighting with her daughter, which at least took her attention off of everybody else. Fredegund and her daughter, Rigunth, would constantly get into heated arguments where Rigunth would remind Fredegund of how her mother was from a low-class family and would never be royalty in the true way that Regenth would be. They would get into physical altercations that have to be dragged apart, slapping and punching each other. One day, Fredegund told Regenth that she could pick whatever she wanted from her personal treasury as a way to make amends, saying that Fredegund was simply too tired to go through and pick something out for her and that Regenth should just pick something that she liked. When Regenth leaned into the chest that held all the treasures, Fredegund slammed the lid down on her neck. Servants had to pull them apart as Fredegund attempted to break her neck and strangle her with the lid. Luckily, Rigunth survived and went on to continue antagonizing her mother. Fredegund also continued to send assassins after Brunhild and King Childebert. Some were caught and some killed themselves in prison rather than be sent back to face whatever punishment was waiting for them at Fredegund's hand. Fredegund also managed to solve a blood feud between two warring families in Tournai. She warned them to stop due to the public safety hazard that their feud was causing, as it would oftentimes spill out into public places. But when they didn't, she instead invited the families to dinner, and when they were seated, beheaded the three survivors of the original blood feud to begin with. Problem solved, apparently. As you can imagine, none of this did anything to kind of endear her to the masses, and mostly they kind of just lived in fear of her and hoping that one day her son would kind of replace her. This behavior also basically disillusioned Guntram's point of view of her, and after Guntram died in 593, he left his lands to King Childebert as a way to kind of ruin Fredegund's plans of building an empire for herself and her son. So he left his lands to King Childebert and Brunhild due to not having any children himself, which caused another war between the two royal families. Fredegund and whatever allies she had remaining on one side, and Brunhild and Childebert on the other. After one of her lead commanders fell in battle, Fredegund actually took to the battlefield herself and led her army to many victories. She and her son Clothar were described as, quote, taking possession of Paris and other cities after the barbarian fashion in 596. Later on that year, Childebert would die of natural causes and leave Brunhild alone and vulnerable. In one of the biggest twists of irony I've ever heard of, right when Fredegund had everything where she could possibly want it to be. Victory in battle, a weakness in her enemy, her son inheriting a majority of the lands. She ended up dying of natural causes on December 8th, 597. She was built a massive marble and copper tomb, which is actually there to this day, currently in the Saint Denis Basilica, in northern Paris. However, her story doesn't really end there. Or rather, it does, but 
Let's talk a little bit about her son Clothar and how he ended up reuniting the land of France for a period of time and ruling it all together, as well as killing her sworn enemy. See, after Childebert's death, Brunhild sat as queen regent and refused to hand off power and the lands to his son's control. This, in turn, led to a massive uprising with plenty of dukes and those in power rebelling against her and turning to Clothar to dethrone her, especially now that his chaotic, murderous, and torturing mother was dead. Clothar ended up throwing her out of power successfully and Brunhild was captured, having run out of allies and killed in an extremely gruesome way. So if you were a little bit uh, squeamish, skip ahead about 30 seconds. On Clothar's order, she had her hair and her arms tied to the hooves of a young horse and her body dragged through the army. Once the king gave this order to begin, apparently the young horse kicked off so hard that her head was actually torn off from her body, which was still then dragged through the city and surrounding woodland area until it was literally torn to pieces. I always forget how brutal ancient France was because every story I read, like the punishments are always like these terrible things. It's like, how could you come up with this horrible way to hurt another human being? Ugh. Anyway, he did this partly as a way to ensure his rule and partly as a way to honor his mother, who probably wanted nothing more than Brunhild's death for a majority of her life. And that concludes the wild and bloody history of Fredegund, the Assassin Queen. This one definitely leans into more of the like almost cartoonishly evil ruler who really just does not hold back when it comes to their enemies and what how they want to accomplish things and does so in an extremely bloody way. Um, I would love to know what you guys thought of this episode. Feel free to leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast or reach out to me on social media at frumiusreads, F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A I am on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, basically any and all social media, but um, I would love to know your thoughts on this episode. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. We are on Apple, Libsyn, Podbean, Google, Amazon, basically anywhere and everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. Or you can go to the official website of frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair and listen to episodes there as well as get a cool transcript of everything that I talked about this episode. Real quick, let's go ahead and shout out to all the sources I used, which were Rejected Princesses, of course, which is an amazing website if you want to read about women that are often not mentioned in history, as well as Wikipedia, everyone's favorite encyclopedia, and biography.yourdictionary.com forward slash Fredigoon, which had a ton of information and where I honestly based a majority of this episode on. But that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Stay spooky, friends. Goodbye.